Pastor Bobby asked me some six weeks ago when he scheduled the revival if I would fill in for him today. And I have to admit, I was delighted to say yes. But I have not meditated and prayed and browsed on what to speak on any more in any sermon in 59 years as an ordained minister as I have this one. Not that there was any particular pressure. I didn't feel I needed to bring a biblical expository message because Bobby brings us such excellent Bible messages every Sunday. And I didn't want to kind of duplicate him. And then I realized I was preaching to a congregation where some have known me since I was a child like these down here. And it's always a little harder when you preach to the home church. Remember, Jesus says a prophet's not without honor, save in his own uh, home or church. And then I realized at my age, every sermon might be the last. So with these kind of fumbling around in my mind, I finally came across Psalm 71, and I thought, this is sort of fitting. Let me read for you. I'm reading from Psalm 71, beginning in verse 9. It says, Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. And then down to verse 14 to 18. But I will hope continually and praise you yet more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness and your salvation all the day. For I do not know their limits. I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness, of yours only. O God, you have taught me from my youth. And to this day, I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. And when I read that, I thought I kind of identified with that psalmist in this passage. It says, cast me not off in my old age. Don't forsake me when my strength fails and my strength is failing and I am an old man. And then he says, when I'm old and gray, Lord, don't forsake me till I declare your strength to this generation. So that's where I am. And you know, when you get old and gray-headed, you can't see as well as you used to. Your strength is not as good as it was. Your hearing is failing, and you lose a little self-confidence. 
And yet, God was faithful to me through the years. I'm, don't, I know he will not fail me now. So that's when I decided I would share this. And one of the things in old age is you have a lifetime of memories. And the psalmist said in verses 14 to 17, I hope continually in you, I'll praise you more and more. My mouth shall tell of your righteousness, of your salvation. It was like he's looking back over God's blessings through his, through the years, walking through his memory. He says, your salvation all the day. He says in verse 17, Oh God, you've taught me from my youth. And to this day, I declare your wondrous works. And you know, I remember how wonderful is God's salvation. There's not a memory in my declining years that has enriched my life at this stage than my salvation. I grew up down on a little farm on Woodard Road. And when I was about uh, six, through my mother's persuasion and the local pastor of the Cashier Methodist Church, I joined the church with my brother and sister one Sunday. I hardly knew what I did, but I know one thing. I wasn't saved. I didn't know what salvation was about. And that's kind of the way it was until I was 21 years old. By now, I had graduated from Windsor High School, going to East Carolina on an athletic scholarship. The Korean War broke out. I left college, went in the Air Force, and I find myself stationed in the Manila, Philippines, in the middle of the Korean War, and I went to chapel, and there was a missionary speaking who had survived the Bataan Death March. Bataan is a peninsula where the Americans surrendered to the Japanese, and some 40,000 were captured, and when the war was over, there was only 4,000 accounted for. He not only survived the death march, which took many lives, but he survived three and a half years as a prisoner of war. And he was preaching that morning. And he explained to me how to be saved. He said, we're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I understood that. And Then he said, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And the gift was God so loved the world, he gave his son, the Lord Jesus, that as many as received him would become the sons of God. As we read in John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gave his son. He's the Lamb of God. That whosoever believeth in him 
would not perish, but have everlasting life. I understood that morning that I didn't have to do anything to be saved. I could not earn it. And even though I was a sinner on the broad road heading for destruction and hell, if I were to invite Jesus Christ to be my Savior, God would save me. I would become a child of God. The Holy Spirit would come into my life. And I did that. And it thrilled my heart. And you know, one of my next memories is I discovered what is the the, the gospel is the power of God. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, the gospel, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God under salvation to everyone who believes. And I discovered that Jesus had told his disciples to go into all the world and preach witness of him to everyone. And just before he ascended into heaven out on the Mount of Olives, his last words were, you followers of me, you disciples, are going to receive power. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And you're going to be witnesses Now, I knew I should witness, but I was a little afraid and I didn't know how. I'd only been saved about maybe five or six months. And one night, we were returning from a basketball game. I was still, when we had a little off duty, I still liked sports, so I was a part of that little ragged basketball team. We were returning the base driving through Manila in the back of an army truck and I was talking to a young fella and we were just chatting and he said something about why are you so different and uh, I said Chuck I want to tell you the reason I'm different is I realized I was a sinner and I've invited Jesus Christ to be my Savior, and my life has changed. I have peace, and I'm I'm trying to honor God. And as we passed under a street light, I looked and tears were running by his eyes. I realized as I witnessed of Jesus Christ, God broke his heart by the Holy Spirit convicting him of his sin. He came to Christ within two weeks. I talked to him every now and then down in uh, Midland, Texas. He's a retired preacher. Wonderful witness. He's led many people to Christ. Through that experience, I learned the power of God. You don't have to know your Bible. You don't have to back and forth. But you need to witness to Christ. And I remember another memory that's very precious. 
and that is, I heard a missionary about a few months after that explain <clears throat> he was preaching from John chapter 1, verses, um, I think, about 40 and 41, and this is a scripture. Andrew first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah. And he brought Peter to Jesus. And Dr. Spar told us that night how that as a 19-year-old boy in up in Pennsylvania, he had gone to a Sunday evening service, heard the gospel, had accepted Christ, and he went home and woke up his 17-year-old brother who slept in the same room and he said I've found Jesus I've been saved and I want you to be saved I don't want you to perish and he said I talked him into kneeling down by the bed accepting Christ and he said you know two years later World War II broke and my brother was drafted and in the invasion to recapture the Philippines he was killed and I'm so glad I I found my brother like Andrew found Peter and you know as I heard that message I thought man I've got a wonderful brother Jim my older brother I love him he was a better man than I was, and God in his grace saved me. And I thought, I don't want Jim to perish. So I began to pray. I think this is where I began to pray regularly. Every day I had my prayer time. And I prayed God save my brother. And then I thought about Daddy. I'd never seen anything in Daddy that indicated he was a Christian. I didn't see anything. It wasn't. He was a good man. So every day, for the rest of that time, there are 15 months, Lord, save my brother Jim, save my father. And finally, I was released from the Air Force. I completed my tour. And I came back to Woodard Road. And when I, by the time I got here... Jim had been drafted in the Korean War was still going on and he was down in Fort Jackson and uh, I wanted to head for school it was in August I had the GI Bill and I could now finish my college but Jim was working with dad on the farm and now he was drafted and dad needed help in the harvest and so I said alright I Bible says, honor your father and mother. I'll put off college till January. And <clears throat> of all things, they were going to have vacation Bible school in two weeks. And I forgot who it was. Might have been Warren's mom or Prue. One of the uh, ladies asked me if I would teach the young people's class. I had never taught a Bible class in my life. And they didn't even have any material. I, with fear and trembling, I said yes. 
And it was in the morning. And I said, well, I can't do it because I'm here. The reason I'm not away is I'm helping my dad. And he needs me in the morning. And most of those young people were working too. So they said, all right, you all, we'll meet with the young children in the morning. You all can meet at night. And I said, what am I going to teach? And I had taken a little correspondent Bible study with just about three pages on each subject. What the Bible teaches. What it teaches about God. What the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ. What the Bible teaches about man created in the image of God. He sinned. And if he doesn't repent, he's going to die. And what it teaches about salvation. What it teaches about uh, prayer, what it teaches about temptation, what it teaches about heaven and hell. And I taught that. And will you believe the psalmist talked about how God helped him and how God helped me. When I just simply obeyed what I felt God wanted me to do, even though I was so unskillful in teaching, never done it before. When that was over, all seven of those young people had accepted Jesus Christ. That was Warren's two older brothers, David and Vernon. That was Milton Padlock and his sister Carolyn. Milton, you were there, remember? You didn't know how scared I was. But you know, I'm sharing these memories as an old man because it teaches what the Bible says that if we obey, we don't go alone. Jesus will be with us. The Holy Spirit will empower you. He will guide you. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send another comforter. And he's going to guide you in all truth. And I'm going to tell you, I was just a baby Christian. And I, I wasn't a preacher. When I, I majored at East Carolina in physical education. And so when I went to Taylor University in Indiana, I... Continued in Christian education. It wasn't until near the, I was about ready to graduate with a degree in business, uh, physical education, minor in business, when I felt the call to ministry. I'm telling you what every Christian ought to be doing. Anyway, January, I took off for Taylor. And as we were there, I still got a little while. When I start, you know, that's one thing about old people start telling the memories, they just ramble on. So I put the clock down, the watch down here so I won't go too long. But when I got to school, <clears throat> having been on the mission field, met a lot of missionaries, I went to the ambassadors group as one of my extracurricular, th- and it was the missionary group. And... <clears throat> From there, I found out that a number of kids would make gospel teams, and so I joined one of them. And that's where 
uh, several of the young people, four or five, would go to different churches and youth rallies where they were invited. They would give testimony. Some would sing. One of the girls in our group was very musical. She played a marimba. So we'd take that small marimba and break it down. And um, So there would be testimonies and singing and music. And uh, some would speak. I had never spoken at that time. <clears throat> and... Uh, we were invited to, uh, and we'd been on several of them through the th- four-month semester. So it was in May, and we had an invitation to go to a church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, not that far from Indiana, northern Indiana, across Chicago and up into Milwaukee. And that morning, I had given a testimony in the morning service, but in the Sunday evening service, they had uh, me scheduled to show some slides. I had taken a lot of slides in the Philippines, and I visited missionaries and things. And I was going to show slides about missions in the Philippines. And <clears throat> just before the service started, I had the screen up and the old slide projector ready. The pastor came up, and he said... Uh, we had, since we were having young people lead our services, we had invited the local reformatory school out here, about 10 miles in the country, uh, to have some of their young people come to the uh, meeting. The director just called, and he said, there's a busload coming. And he said, most of these boys, it was a boys' reformatory, they don't know a thing about the gospel. So make sure you explain the gospel. I never preached in my life. I was going to show slides, which I knew about. And how was I going to tell from those slides, how was I going to explain the gospel to these kids? And they reserved about five seats for that busload of kids. And uh, you're talking about pulse beating it's like in an overtime in the last three seconds and you're one point behind. You're nervous as you can be. And I, I was praying and I mechanically was kind of going through the slides and in my heart I was saying, Lord, how am I going to explain the gospel to those boys? And I came to a, a slide where I had a picture of a missionary on the island of Mendora. I had visited there. And a group of uh, Filipino children around, and they had a phonograph. And in those days, and that was in 1951, and there was no electricity in that little community. And so they had a a gospel recording was a group that would uh, make these phonographs, and you would take your finger and put the record on, take your finger. If you went too fast, and you went too slow, and the kids would learn how to do it. And they would have pre-recorded for the kids in the Tagalog language, uh, maybe like, Jesus loves me, and the kids would sing that along with it. And uh, anyway, it seemed like the Holy Spirit whispered in my mind, Tell them what's on that record and explain the gospel. 
Now, I did not remember what was recorded on that particular record. So I left that slide up there for about 10 minutes, which you never do in a presentation. And I explained the gospel. When the invitation was given, half those boys came to the altar in tears and accepted Christ. When I got back to the room where we were hosted, I knelt at my bed and I thanked God for giving me help in making the gospel clear to these little wayward boys. And uh, I said, Lord, I've been praying for my brother and my dad. Send somebody down there to explain, just like you brought us up here to tell these boys. And um, it seemed like God spoke to me on my knees and said, you're the one to go. I said, Lord, I came in January and I'm already scheduled for summer school so I can graduate in May of the next year and not have to come an extra semester. And I've got a summer job. I only have the GI Bill. I'm out of spending money. And this is sort of the going through my mind on my knees. And I said, and it seemed like God spoke. Now, I've never heard God speak, but it was as real in my mind, in my inner soul. God said, would you, for a few college hours and a few dollars, risk your brother and dad going to hell? And I cried. I just wept. I wept so loud I broke up my roommate. And I said, Lord, Lord, I'll go. But I've been there all fall, and I didn't have a chance. I got home. Well, I took my last final in about two weeks, jumped in that old 48 Plymouth, and drove to no interstates in those days. And um, I drove about halfway and slept in a churchyard and then drove home the next day. And I think that about the first or second night I was home, they wanted to see some slides I had made of the harvest the year before. So I set it up and I was showing them and when they were laughing and talking. I didn't have to explain anything. And um, <clears throat> when they quit talking, I just put another one in. And um, I'm thinking, I, Lord, I've been praying for two years and you've sent me here. Messed up my plans. Help me know what to do. And finally, the last picture, I cut off the projector. And somebody said, is that all? I said, no, there's one more. I walked up to the screen, and I told them how I had been praying for them and how God had told me to come and tell Daddy and my brother that I didn't want them to go to hell when they died. And... I wanted them to know Jesus. As he saved me, I wanted them to save them. And I was so moved, I wept. And I looked over, and Daddy had picked up the News and Observer. He always read it every evening in his chair. He had the paper up. I said, Daddy, I know you're not reading that paper. He brought the paper down, and tears were running out of his eyes. They both 
knelt there by the couch and we prayed and Daddy and Jim invited Jesus to be their Savior. Now you talk about a memory that's blessed because 18 years later I received the only the first phone call I'd received on Okinawa and I'd been there for nine years now and my brother Jim had called and he said last night Daddy died. I had such mixed emotion. One, that my dear old daddy, life was gone. But how thrilled I was that I'd obeyed the leading of the Spirit of God. And I'd witnessed, and I knew I'd see my daddy again. I want to tell you, the gospel is the power of God. We are to be his witnesses. If he has saved you, you should speak. It was in 1991 that Julie called me and said, Jim died of a heart attack two hours ago. I preached his funeral up here at Walker's old funeral home. And I told about how I'd, he was helping me put a trailer where I could come up and do some hunting and fishing. I was down at Fayetteville and his pastor then. And he was helping me and he said, I've got to go. So he jumped in the pickup. We were hooking up something on the thing. And he backed out and he said, I'll see you later, buddy. And I preached my funeral. I said, I'll see you later, buddy. And I told about how he had been saved. And I knew he was in heaven. And I said to his casket, I'll see you later, buddy. Because I witnessed to him. You have family and friends that you don't know where they stand spiritually? Pray for them. Witness. It's God gives you opportunity. I want to tell you, old and gray. These memories warm my heart. But life's not over. I want to tell you, I enjoy every sunrise. I'm resting on the promises of God like I have been since I was saved. And Jesus promised that I'll never leave thee, I'll never forsake thee. That nothing can separate me from the love of God. So I am just a happy soul. And if God will give me, I I don't have a lot of, I have time. I pray more than I've ever prayed. Because I have time to pray. I pray for you. I pray for this church. I pray for Pastor Bobby. And you know, he said, he preached last week from uh, Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. And also in that same sermon, said, Don't lay up your treasures on earth and moss and rust, and thieves break through and steal, but lay up your treasures in heaven. And you know, I started giving when my little 
I was a staff sergeant by the time I was saved over there and heard about tithing. And I tithed my $147, $14.70. I'd put it aside and I'd give it to the missionaries. In school, I tithed my little GI Bill. And when I finished school, I didn't have one one debt. And when my wife and I went to the Philippines as missionaries, we were receiving $225 a month, and we still gave $22.50 as a tithe. So I want to tell you, many times we didn't have enough money to get through the month, but God always took care of You seek first the kingdom of God, you obey him. And, I, and I'll just tell you now, I've got more money today than I've ever had in my life. And I didn't even have a, I did not have an IRA or any kind of retirement system and missions. And when I became a pastor, I started an IRA. But God has so blessed me that I give a tithe to this church every month. And I give another tithe to missions. You can't outgive God. God said in Malachi, bring your tithe into the storehouse. And I'll open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. And I don't worry about one bill today. I make more money than I ever made when I worked. And I I won't bore you by trying to tell you how it came about because really I don't understand it. But I'll tell you this, you honor God and he will honor you. That's what I'm telling you as an old gray head. I'm not, Bobby was talking about looking ahead. I'm telling you about looking back. It worked in my life. I learned a poem, and I'll close with these two little poems. When I was back there in the Philippines, one of them was, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And I want to tell you, my life has gone by rapidly. It seems like just 15 years ago that I visited this church with Wheeler when I was in high school. Now I'm an old man. One life, but the things that last, the memories that are blessed now are what I've done for Christ. Not anything else. So don't waste all of your t- energies and your time on things that are not going to matter but walk by faith in the light of the Word of God. Take time to pray. Be a, speak up for Jesus Christ when you have an opportunity. And we'll see God work in a wonderful way. And then I learned another poem. It says, how's it go? Uh, when in mansions above, and they saved all around me appear. I want to hear someone say, you invited me here. 
I don't want to go to heaven selfishly. Let's pray. Lord, I stand before this congregation to thank you for how good you've been in my life, how you helped me to honor you with all of my weaknesses and failures. And Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy. And thank you that your word is true, that you will honor those who honor you. Help us to be a people that seek first the kingdom of God, be witnesses for him, and spend spend time in fellowship and prayer with you. Lord, bless Kasha. Bless Brother Bobby as he's finishing his sermon probably up there in the Mayors. And Father, we pray you'd bless our congregation. Help us, Lord, to witness and talk to the younger generation to help them come to know you. And help us to pray and to give and to walk with God and enjoy the blessings of Almighty God. Bless us through this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, the invitation hymn is on the overhead. Please stand. Father, we thank you for your amazing love. Help us to go forth walking in that love and be a witness for the lovely Lord Jesus to whom we owe it all, in whose name we pray, amen.